Hey, thank you so much for checking out today's video. I'm Pastor Matt, this is Pastor Adrienne, and we pray this message blesses you and encourages you all throughout your week. Absolutely. For any more information on how to be praying with us or to become a part of our community or to give, please head on over to takeovergiera.com. Thank you, thank you. Um, can you guys just acknowledge Kayla up here just <laughs> making everything sound so, so good. We love you, babe. We love you so much. Um, happy Sunday, guys. Y'all awake? I'm seeing some sleepy faces out there. All right. This morning, we are going to be coming out of the book of James. So if you want to open your Bible and just leave it open to the book of James, we're going to go through a very, very large portion of James, which is not saying a whole lot. The book of James is kind of short. Um, last time I preached, we, t we came out of the book of Peter. Um, Peter is very illustrative with his words. He, he likes to describe things in, in a really beautiful way. James is not like that. James is very cut and dry to the point. It is what it is and it is what it isn't. And um, it's refreshing. We're, we're going to get into it. Are we not? Yes. Are we alive? Are we awake? Are you, are you there in the book of James? I need you to grab one sleeve, pull it up, grab the other sleeve, pull that up because we're going to get to work. Okay. Yes. Jesus, thank you for your presence this morning, God. We're so humbled to just be here, Lord. So humbled that you want anything at all to deal with us, to do with us, God. We love you, Lord. We want to see you glorified. We want to see the body edified, strengthened, that which is not of you cut away, and our spirits added to day by day. In Jesus' mighty name, all of God's people said, amen. So as we go through James this morning, um, we're going to go through a good portion of it, but we're going to snag in some really significant areas. Um, the book of James is, is really about how to be a burning one. And if I was to give my message a title this morning, that would be it, how to be a burning one. Um, he has a lot to say about it, and we're going to get right to it. Um, I have a graphic. It is graphic two. I know that it should be graphic one, but it's called graphic two. Um, that's it right there. And the four main themes of James are as such. Um, he talks a lot about faith. And as we have our initial salvation, we begin to trust in God. And we, that trust in God becomes wisdom as we devour that word, as we dwell, right? Who's dwelling? Anybody dwelling in this place? Is it blessing you guys? So good, so good. That wisdom applied becomes righteousness. And that righteousness leads to us being like Christ, like God, and being holy. Amen? Amen. You guys like the graphics? You like the breakdown? All right. All right. Um, so again, the message is titled, How to Be a Burning One. Take out your Bible, open it to James, get your notes out. You're going to want to write this down. The book opens with James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Firstly, I think it's important to note that James was um, a servant of Jesus, but he was also a brother to Jesus. Did we know that? He, um, he's very unique in that way. I, I try to imagine having a brother that I grew up with, and, you know, he's, he's cool, but he's really into being holy. And, uh, and being a normal person... And, you know, breaking the rules, because we all break the rules every once in a while. And, and that brother being there and, and letting us break the rules, but certainly not joining us in, in breaking those rules, right? Um, you witness him fall, scab his knees. When he's working with wood, he gets slivers. You both probably share a meal that's your favorite, that your mom makes. And ultimately, when you are men, when you are grown up, others come to you and they tell you that this brother of yours odd though dearly loved, is actually the Messiah and the Son of God. If we just let that soak in a little bit, I think we will have a unique understanding of James and what comes after. Um, to James's credit, uh, I can understand why he would be skeptical at first when they came to him and, and they said that Jesus was the Son of God. This is someone you grew up with. You spent the majority of your life with. So James really comes along in Jesus's life towards the end of Jesus's work here on the earth. 
He, he comes along and he sees him do some miracles. He sees Jesus murdered and he speaks with Jesus after his resurrection. And it is at that moment that James accepts what he was skeptical about, that Jesus was the one true son of God and he gives his life over and devotes himself to service. He, he starts as the brother of Jesus and he ends as a servant of Jesus. Is it good? Talk about humility, people. James believed so completely that Jesus was our savior, is our savior, that he was one of the people, the very early people that was there at Pentecost, that that holy flame came and rested on him and he truly became one of the first burning ones in the early church. Because of this, James is a pastor. He is one of the primary members of the early church, one of our founding fathers. James understood that being a burning one is something we do for the rest of our lives. It's not just a one-time situation that fire falls on you, you accept the love of Jesus Christ, and, and that's it, you coast. You coast right on into heaven, baby. Do you hear me, people? It's more than that. It's a flame and a fire that comes to rest inside of you that you must continue to tend, yes? We must be hungry. That fire must be continually fed with the word, with prayer, here in community. Do you hear me, people? So he writes this letter to believers who are spread out amid the nations. It continues with, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be complete, perfect and lacking nothing. James uses the word dispersion in his greeting. He is talking to a nation of people who are under persecution. He is writing a letter to a church that is on the run. He recognizes that these are people who know about trials and tribulation. They know about being tortured and martyred for their faith. And he's telling them, count it pure joy in your suffering. Who counts it pure joy in their suffering? Anybody? Do we have any? Oh, Grant. Oh, let's roast him after service for that, guys. Um, no, it is, it is, it's challenging, right? We don't hear it and it feels good. It's like, holy cow, okay. Um, but he's also encouraging them. He's saying like, hey, this is happening. Trials and tribulation is going to come. You are going to go to the market and people are not gonna trade with you because you're a Christian. You are going to be fearful of your life, leaving your home or not leaving your home and people knowing that a Christian lives there. You are going to be terrified to send your children to school because you claim to love Jesus. He understands the trials and the tribulations that are taking place in the early church. And he's challenging us as he was challenging them as Christians that we have to have a radically different way of engaging our trials, of engaging our pain. Yes? Do you hear me? <laughs> he's first calling attention to the fact that he knows he's talking to a persecuted people. And this is exactly what they hear, hard though it may be, but he knows also that this is, will be a guide for those who come after. In America today, as Westerners, it, it's hard to comprehend um, being not afraid to come together and worship that we would be martyred and executed. Yes? We can relate to illness, broken relationships, the loss of a loved one, tilling until we see breakthrough in the workplace. All of these things, these kinds of suffering, we can understand. Whether it's religious persecution and death, God is equipping us to be fortified in our spiritual nature. We will be supernaturally graced for the overcoming of any trial that comes our way. Um, an example recently, 
Allie was here visiting from Bethel over Christmas. If you didn't get to see her, you missed her. She'll be back over the summer, hopefully. She goes to Bethel and their lead pastor there, Bill Johnson is his name. He is so spiritually fortified on the inside. Days after the death of his wife, he got up in front of his entire community in church and he preached a message on grief. And not only did he preach a message on grief, he welcomed the entire community into his pain in the examination of that tribulation. He said that there are things this side of heaven we will never experience unless that pain comes into our lives. There are aspects of God we will never see because in heaven, there's no pain. There's no suffering. There's an aspect of God that we will only get to know this side of heaven through how we deal with pain and how he covers us. I can't imagine that. I'm sure that's, that's challenging for some of us to think about. It's unreal. But I do know that in my Christian life, I am working to fortify my inner man. And I know that you guys are doing the same thing. We're dwelling in the word so that we can become good hearers, so that we can eventually become doers and that our faith can be perfected in Christ. Yes? There are three spiritual conditions that I felt pressed to talk about today. Two of them James talked about. One of them is one that I've encountered a lot amid Christian people, and it's gotta go, baby. When trials come your way, what is your initial response to that hardship? Is it complaint? Do you complain and complain and complain about the hardship that's taking place in your life? Or do you turn and you pray and you pray and you pray? Spirit of complaint is a spiritual condition that is not holy. Do you hear me? It is not holy. It obscures the goodness of God. Listen to me. When you should be focusing on him, you're focusing on the trial. You're unintentionally serving that adversity by pouring your energy into being afflicted. We need to talk about it this morning because it's something that likes to come and sit in the Christian house and nobody calls it out. And we're calling it out this morning because it sucks and it's gross and it's gotta go. Amen? We give the enemy a stronger foothold in our lives when we complain and complain. And not only that, it does not bless the people that are around us. When you complain, instead of fortifying and building up, you are pulling down, you are tearing down. And if God rises, if God rides in on the praises of his people, what do you think the enemy rides in on? That's not mine, that's Pastor Matt's, but it's still really good. I'm not going to be up here and take credit for something that didn't come into my brain. Not only does the enemy use that pain to wound us, he uses it to wound others. Instead of speaking life, we wind up speaking death. As you have your Bible open, we're looking at chapter 3. We're, we're skipping ahead to chapter 3, verse 5. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How, a great, how great a forest is set ablaze with such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse the people made in his image and likeness. Boom, roasted. All of us. 
every day, all the time. Your tongue is a wild burning fire and not the one that we want on the inside of us, yes? It must be tamed, it must be tamed. We have to speak life, we have to edify, we have to push forward with grace and encouragement, affirming, praying, doing those things that God has called us to do. Can I get an amen, people? Amid the varieties and trials, our faith is being purified. Our, faith, our spirits are being purified, our hearts are being purified, our minds are being purified, our mouths are being purified. Thank God. Say it with me. Thank God. How we engage with pain and sadness, how we engage with unanswered prayers or infertility, sickness inside of our bodies, should always be first and foremost a turning to the Lord in trust, which produces steadfastness. I don't want to be single. This isn't where I want to be. It's hard for me. I trust you, Jesus. My job really sucks. It's the pits. I hate going to work every day. It's okay, you got this, Jesus. I trust you, Jesus. My country is going to hell in a handbasket. It's out of control. You are on the throne. I trust you, Jesus. Yes? Yes. The act of turning to God amid tribulation produces steadfastness and trust within us. And the full effect of steadfastness or trust is the perfecting of our faith. To trust in Christ alone, to trust in Christ alone is to lack nothing. And it's not super spiritual. I close my eyes and I think about that. To trust in Jesus completely is to lack nothing. No fear, no anxiety, nothing. Just Jesus. Back to chapter one. Turn your pages. Verse five. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave in the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded and unstable in all of his ways. And if you find yourself in a season of trial and tribulation, ask God for wisdom, search his word for wisdom. Amen? In fact, God is so eager to give us heavenly wisdom that he will, when we ask, he gives it freely, yeah. gladly. Yeah. And he won't make you feel stupid about it, which is great. Right. Because sometimes we ask people here on earth questions about stuff that we need and they make us feel dumb for not knowing it. He will never ever make you feel that way. He's so excited to see you prosper. Yeah. On, wisdom for your marriage, wisdom for your money, wisdom on how to raise your children, Wisdom on how to be a burning one. He has got it all. And you have free access. We must ask in faith and without doubting because he knows what's best for our life. If we're going to ask him for wisdom, we're going to trust the wisdom he gives. Yes? I think that my greatest concern for Gen Z is where they're getting their wisdom. Where is that coming from? YouTubers, IGers, TikTokers. And what do they call them? They call them influencers, not losers. Rude. <laughs> they call them influencers. And I'm here to say this morning that the only person who needs to influence you is the Holy Spirit. That is the only influence you need. And I even look at that term influencer and it's gross. It's like gross, it's creepy. It's like there's something subliminal happening there. And we all go around, we just throw that word around and we're, and we're cool with it, like it's normal. It's yucky. Influence, the term influence, it means that a change or an effect that someone or something is having on us. 
It's a power that we don't even often recognize is at work. Changing our behavior, our development, our character for good or bad. We are creatures very inclined to being influenced. God knows this. He made us this way. That's why he gave us the Holy Spirit, so we would have the influence we need, the good influence. We are highly, highly impressionable, my friends. The people we surround ourselves with, they influence us. What we put before our eyes, it influences us. I know that we can all relate to this, but when I was in college, my, my best friend, she, she lived with a bunch of women who went to a liberal arts college and were studying women's studies. If you don't know anything about that, she toxic. Okay? There was things that they were saying about men. There were things that they were saying about women that altered my understanding of who I was and what I thought about men. And I love being a woman. <laughs> this is the way that God made me and I think it's fabulous. And you should feel exactly the same. I think when he looks at me, he's well pleased. And that pleases me because he's the one who designed me. And this is how it's meant to be. I didn't need to pick it apart, turn it inside out, and say it's something else. He built me just so to be a great strength to those around me, but also to my male counterpart, not to be my male counterpart. And I believe that if you are a woman here today, first and foremost, God wants to fulfill that area in your life as a leader, a provider, a deep confider, a father, and a friend. He wants you to look at him first, married or not. He will set the example of how you should be treated, who you're meant to be, how you should be spoken to, and how you should be led. What you should put up with and what you should not. Amen? Men and women have very specific and beautiful designs. Our young people are not going to hear that from influencers today. You hear me? Yes? Which is why we have had such a huge focus on being hearers of the word. We need to be telling our young people what the Bible says about male, female, gender, sexuality, because there's a whole mess of garbage out there that you don't want them going to. Amen? In a second, we're going to read that God calls us to be more than just hearers, but also doers. That we're going to look at a standard of building and purifying that as Christians we can cling to for the rest of our, rest of our lives. Here's graphic one, even though I know it's graphic two, guys, just uh, deal with it. Graphic one, graphic one. The first spindle at the top is hearing. Hearing comes, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, which we're doing, we're dwelling, yes? That hearing builds into our faith, and from that faith flows our works, our doing. And those works compound faith squared. And that faith, again, goes right back into our hearing as we dedicate ourselves, as we use self-control, as we make that time to be present in the house, to be present in our prayer rooms, to pray and to seek him in our own time. Yes? This, this, the idea of this cycle is that we will never arrive, okay? That we go through this cycle again and again and again to become more like Christ. It is a purifying cycle. There is always more for us in the word, in God, and in the spirit. Let's look to the word to help us understand. Skip back to chapter one, verse 22. But be doers of the word, 
and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and at once he forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. We are created in his image, yet we look into a mirror of the world and reflects back at us, not our true nature, but something more akin to the reflection of Satan himself. Our natural faces in the mirror are lawless. Our identity without the Holy Spirit is unstable. Our face changes because ultimately it is a reflection of God's face. And if we do not know God, we will not recognize our reflection. Our nature changes because it is not under the direction of the Spirit of God. People hear this and they think that God is being restrictive, that he's holding them back in some way. He's not. If we go to verse 25, hey babe, my Polish nose is running. Can you get me a, one of those? Thank you. I had a grandmother who had perpetual nasal drip as she got older, so I have clearly inherited that from her. Pardon, pardon. Um, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. It's called the law of liberty, which means freedom, y'all. It's not restrictive, it sets us free. Free from the garbage that we're born into, free from everything that we put inside of ourselves as we live our life and go through this world. Freedom, the law of liberty. There is freedom in his word, there is freedom in him. It is not restrictive in any way. It is the secret of all of creation. It is the inside track on the way things were designed to be. Like Pastor Matt preached last week, we are designed for a relationship with the creator. That is our single, that is our singular design. That is our divine purpose to be in relationship with the God who created us. Learning about that from the word, peering into the law of liberty shows us who we truly are and leads us to a greater trust in him, which grows our faith. Now, the last time I talked or I preached or I did whatever I did up here on the stage, it was about God acting upon a moving object. Here, he says that we are not called to be just hearers, but also we are called to be doers. So we put graphic one back up there. Whoops. Hearers means self-control, creating a protocol of returning to God in his word. Doers means understanding that the law, understanding that law, which leads to growth and application. So one of the things we've been working on is consistency, showing up, being present, letting God do the work amid community. Yes? Okay. After that, we become doers, which means as we're hearing, we're growing and we're learning, we begin to apply the things that we're hearing and we're, we're growing and we're learning in. Yes? Okay. If you don't know the Fletchers, they like to play games a lot, right? It takes Scott literally 45 minutes to explain the rules of the game. Oh my gosh, it's so bad. And Shani will just sit there and just roll her eyes. Oh my gosh, it's so bad. My thing is, is that, okay, we can hear the rules really briefly, but then we apply. We apply them. That's how I learn. That's how we learn, guys. We read it, we apply it. Yes? To be a doer means to be schooled and convicted by the Holy Spirit and to be like Christ. You are tending the inside of yourself for proper burnability in there. Yes? Where that holy fire can come and rest and you can become a burning one or you can stay a burning one. This means cutting away sin nature and it also means adding to your spirit nature. It's not the same as being knowledgeable of your Bible and not applying what you've learned because then you don't fully understand it. And that's religion. It's not 
It's not being a burning one. It's being religious. What James is pointing us to is to hear the word, grow your faith, and do as the Spirit instructs. Do you hear me, people? If you look back at verse 21, chapter 1, 20, verse 21, therefore put away all filthiness, rampart wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. To be a hearer and even a doer requires meekness, submission, his will over our will. And once you've received that implanted word, remember Peter called it that imperishable seed that cannot die, that we must continue to water, that leads to the ultimate salvation of our souls. The receiving of God's grace, the transformative nature of dwelling in his word and the outward function of faith, which is doing. Let's keep going. Chapter two, verse 14. Get there, y'all. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? Yes, faith can save you. We know that. The thief on the cross, he got faith, boom, in heaven, right? He made it. But that is not God's intention for us as Christian folk, as little Christ. It is for us to grow and fully develop. And like Matt likes to say, the Christian isn't just getting into heaven. That's not the point. It's to bring heaven down to earth. And if that doesn't sound like takeover church, guys, <laughs> I don't know what does. We doing it. We piercing the veil. We pulling it down. It's happening. God wants a fully developed people. Chapter two, verse 15. If a brother and a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things that the body needs, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it, if it does not have works, it is dead. James was called James the Just. Um, he, book of James is all about poor people and how he like really doesn't like rich people. And he's also, he was also called a peacemaker and a past, he was a pastor and he was an advocate for the poor. He believed as we do that Christ is for all people. Um, hmm. Christ is for all people and he personally dearly loved the poor. I already said that. And he not so quietly despised the rich. There you go. The imparted word and the Holy Spirit tells us that all people, no matter, no matter their socioeconomic status, the color of their skin, the language they speak, the history that they have, God loves them all, and we are called to do the same. Amen? Amen. The way we love those around us, the way we sacrifice, the way that we extend grace and forgiveness, that is all a work of our faith that is maturing inside of us. Do you hear me, people? You alive? You still with me? Not being afraid to tell others about Christ, how we do that, not being, how we suffer with, how we deal with rejection when there's someone we know needs Christ and they don't want anything to do with it. How we pray for a stranger in the parking lot. Those are all works of our faith. The generosity that we pour out on the less fortunate the way we see them as God sees them, worthy of love and not less than human. There's a reason that James put this in here and it is a word for us all. Tender your hearts, people. Chapter 2, 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. This is how the world will know us. The works are the very fruit we will be known by. Faith produces two kinds of fruit. Fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, but also fruit of our works. The things that we do with our hands and our feet and our mouths. Both will be evident to an outside world. One that grows inside of us but thusly impacts the things that happen on the outside of us. Yes? yes. Service to those around us, 
doing the hard work of being helping hands and expecting nothing in return. Chapter two, verse 22, you see that faith was active along with his works and the faith completed his works. So graphic one, James here is talking about Abraham being willing to sacrifice his son Isaac to demonstrate his full and complete trust of God. Abraham knew that God had said, you know, you're gonna be a father of many nations. Also really old, kind of dusty inside, has a baby, the kid grows up, and then God's like, you're gonna sacrifice this kid. And Abraham's like, I trust you. I trust you, Lord. I trust you, Jesus. It is that faith in God, that trust in the Lord, that completes his faith. The doing that completes his faith. The doing, trusting, being willing to make the sacrifice, God obviously stopping him, completes his faith. Our work of being like Christ, looking into the law and letting it transform us, and being his hands and feet here on planet Earth, is an outworking and a completion of our faith. It will always begin with a deepening trust of God. If we don't trust him, we're not going to do what he tells us to do, right? We're going to start doing our own things. We're going to make it work our way, which is so much the human condition and so much why things are so screwed up. Stop and quiet your spirit this morning and just internally examine. When was the last time that you selflessly served another person without expecting anything in return? When was the last time you volunteered your time to help someone move on a weekend watch the kids, make them a meal. Not expectant of anything in return, just to serve. When was the last time you generously gave towards someone who was desperately in need? And you did so anonymously without expecting anything in return. We have to be hearers, but also doers. Yes? These are good questions we have to ask. As Westerners, we are constantly living for the acknowledgement, for the thank you, Lady Gaga, for the praise and the applause. We have got to live for more. If that is what is sustaining you, you're going to dry up and blow away, baby. First and foremost, our affirmation needs to come from God alone. I'm going to say it again because I need to hear it. First and foremost, our affirmation, my affirmation, needs to come from God alone. Not from my husband, not from y'all, God alone. Chapter 3, verse 13. Here we go. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast or be false to the truth. Jealousy, bitter jealousy, or selfish ambition. This is not wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Those are the two other spiritual conditions we're talking about this morning. Jealousy, selfish ambition. You still with me? All right. James is drawing our attention to this because these things cause death within the church. They cause disunity, disruption, disorder. If we're talking about fruits, then there are the fruits that we have when we serve Christ, and there are the fruits that we have when we serve our sinful natures. Both have fruit. Both equal replication. Both are what we will be known by, by the world at large. Jealousy and selfish ambition, he calls them demonic. In their wake is the fruit of disorder and sin. 
We have got to pull up the spiritual root of jealousy and selfish ambition, and we have to replace it with godly, heavenly wisdom. We have to replace it. We have to condition our minds for his will. That will result in the fruit of verse 17. Pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, impartial, and sincere. God is calling us to condition our minds to his will. What is your response when someone hurts you? Is it to hurt them back? Spite makes right? Is it war? Is it peace? It says in 18, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. A harvest of right standing in the eyes of the Lord are sown in peace by peacemakers. These are indeed the seeds of faith grown into full effect and the result of that full effect is becoming holy, becoming like God. Chapter four, verse one, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder, you covet, but you do not attain. So you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask and you ask, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions, to serve ourselves. For you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity, active opposition with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy to God. Or do you suppose it is of no purpose that the scripture says, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell within us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And here's the whammy, guys. Gird your loins. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Humble yourself, lower yourself down, and he will lift you up. He will lift you up. What is James saying here? He's pointing out the grace, 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 grace sickness that is alive and at work in the church today. It is the misuse of grace, the misunderstanding of what that grace is and what it covers and what it's for, and it is killing us. If we have the understanding going on the brink of sin, looking over the edge, ready to toss ourselves in, we take a deep breath and we, and we think to ourselves, his grace is sufficient, and we throw ourselves in, or Jesus will forgive me, and we throw ourselves in, we're missing the point. The grace that is supposed to be worth it all becomes worth less. We have got to turn our eyes up to that cross and look at the man, that perfect blameless lamb that is hanging there who died so that that grace could cover our iniquity. We have to look at our, our hands and we have to see the sinful things that they've done. We have to look at our mouths and we have to see the sin and the evil that has come out of it. No one in this room is exempt. So if your bum is puckering, it's okay. Sorry to be crass. That grace is sufficient for our sin nature, but we cannot, cannot, cannot abuse that grace. If we think, oh, Jesus will forgive me and we kill somebody, he'll forgive me. No, he will forgive you. There is grace for sin. There is grace, there is covering, but we don't do it wearing it out and making it worthless. We do it with the mind, with our minds on Christ and his face looking at us as he hung on the cross. That is the understanding of true grace. Yes? Yes. Have I offended anyone? When we do not understand or recognize the depth of our own depravity and the destruction in our wake, grace is worthless.
It says to confess and repent. Confess and repent. Our grace is not free. That price was paid. We must confess and repent. How do we know the balance between self-hatred for the crummy, crappy people that we can be and the overabuse of grace? It says in verse 8, draw near to God. Draw near to God. Get in your prayer room. Get before the Lord. He will give his wisdom to you freely. He will make you understand the depths of redemption and the value of grace. He will make you understand it. Worship team, come on up. Um, James had many nicknames. Um, one of the nicknames, it's not so cute, but it is powerful. James's nickname was Old Camel Knees. And the reason he was called Old Camel Knees is because he was so often found in prayer, kneeling and praying to God that his knees had become calloused and scabby and gross. Small price to pay for being in the presence of God. Old Camel Knees understood what it was like to draw near to God. He knew what it took. He understood, hear me, the power of prayer. He knew that when he saw his hurting community around him, that when he took a knee and he bowed before the Lord to pray over them, God inclined his ear. It wasn't something he was just doing. It moved supernaturally in the realms that we cannot see. He understood that much like the conditioning of our spirits takes dedication, death to self and the constant renewal of our minds is needed was needed then and is needed now. If we look again at graphic one, hearing comes by the word of God and that builds into our faith. And out of that faith flows our works. Those works compound and strengthen our faith. And that faith and dedication again feeds back into hearing and our relationship and our growth with the Lord. The cycle ultimately leads us to becoming like Christ. Graphic two, as we receive our salvation and we dive into the word trusting in God, this leads to wisdom. Application of that wisdom leads to righteousness. And that righteousness ultimately means we're becoming holy like Christ. We're becoming a burning one. The book of James is a letter of encouragement. It is a letter to people who understand suffering. It is a letter to people seeking to be a burning one. And he closes with chapter 513. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, be anointed with oil and prayed over in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. For if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And the prayer of a righteous person is great, has great power and is working. It says to pray, to rejoice, to announce, to anoint, to pray again, to confess always, to be cleansed, and again, to pray those prayers that are more powerful than we could ever understand and imagine. If you would stand. James was an absolute gangster. He was so unsatisfied and so ugh, uninspired by everything the world threw at him. He didn't want anything to do with that. His riches were in heaven. Old camel knees knew what it took to pierce the veil, to have God incline his ear. And every Sunday, every Wednesday, this place is doing the same. Takeover Church, it's, it's a hospital, it's a clinic. And I imagine if we could see this altar in the spiritual realm, there would be garbage up here, piles of it. People have carried around for years maybe decades, tossed here. 
the courage they had to come forward, receive prayer, get on their face before the Lord, here it stays. People coming in with a spiritual condition, a spiritual oppression, and deciding I'm not gonna go on one more day, feeling tormented in the way that I do, coming up here, getting freedom. Don't ever be afraid to receive your healing or to get prayer, yes? It says that the, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And this morning, if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, if he is active and he is alive within you, I want you to look around to the person left or right in front of you behind. We're gonna pray over each other this morning because that is what we're called to do. Yes? Can you get on board with that? Don't make it weird. Be cool. Let the Holy Spirit do the heavy lifting. Close your eyes. Jesus, thank you so much for your presence here today, God. Thank you, Lord. As you just begin to pray over those around you, just welcome the Holy Spirit in. Welcome him in. Welcome him in. Father God, we welcome you into this place. We welcome you into this place right now. God, as we recognize that the prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective, God, I pray right now, Jesus, that you would illuminate the minds of your, of your children, God, that we would receive a word, that we would pray a prayer of strength and restoration. Whatever it is, God, whatever is present that needs to fall away, whatever is present that needs to be further edified, God. I pray that you give your children the courage and the words to speak and to pray, that it would be your Holy Spirit speaking, Jesus, and nothing else. God, we love you. Lord, we worship you. Be glorified in this place, Lord. Amen, amen, amen. Continue to pray. Continue to pray. Take the time to pray as we go back into worship.